Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and I'm looking forward to the series that we're beginning today because we are on our way to Easter. And so I hope that you are ready to jump in and this series is called A Journey to the Cross. Well, Jesus said that if anyone would come to him, three simple things are required. And in this case, simple does not mean easy. And so Pastor Dave is going to teach on these three simple but hard requirements to be a follower of Jesus. And so we usually say we're hoping that the messages push you and challenge you, but especially as we're in the season of Lent and as we're coming into the Easter season, we hope that you are challenged to an incredible level so that you can really take a next step with Jesus. Hey, if you are wondering anything that's going on at the church, you can always go to beartownroad.org slash events, and you'll be able to find everything that's happening as we round out the winter and as we come into the spring season. Also, beartownroad.org, you can find all sorts of information about the church and anything you might need to know. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode titled Simple But Hard. Well, I think it's really neat that this morning, many of the people who are serving, hospitality, welcome team, ushers, greeters, tech team, worship team, the folks on the stage, many of them are in their teens and 20s, including myself. (laughs) You laughed a little too hard at that. Uh, But yeah, we got all kind of young people serving today, getting ready for the life trip. I hope you'll come back this afternoon for the spaghetti dinner. Um, But we are uh, starting a brand new series today called Journey to the Cross. I hope that you will grab one of these devotional books on your way out and begin it. Um, It does start on Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday, but you can start with day five, which is tomorrow. It's just a daily devotional. It's really good. It's helpful for us as we uh, jump into this whole Lenten season. Hey, I've mentioned to you this before, but um, one of the things that I, I really dislike strongly is when things get very complicated. I don't like complicated things. And I came up with a list of some of the things that I find to be very complicated. You might be able to relate to some of these. Taxes, right? It's nice to get people to do your taxes because they're complicated. Ice skating, like you watch the Olympics, you're like, oh, it looks so easy. And then you get on ice skates and, you know, you can't really do it. Relationships, it's like, did I say the wrong thing? You know, that, that can get complicated sometimes. Cooking, I'm pretty good at eating. I'm not so good at cooking, especially when it comes to, like, is it the right temperature? I typically overcook or undercook. Repair. Some of you are just really good at repairs. You make it look so easy. It's so complicated to me. How about washing your back? Like, it's so complicated. I don't think I've had my back washed for 42 years since I was two years old because it's, it's just complicated, right? Uh, parallel parking. You ever go to Market Street and you see that one spot? And you're like, oh, I got to get that spot, but it's going to require me to parallel park. And this guy behind me better notice that I'm parallel parking. And then you got a big line of cars behind them. And it's, it's complicated, right? Or, or technology. I'm so grateful that we have three pastors on staff, myself, Lucas, and Isaac. And I am so, I don't, I'm not bad with technology. I'm just lazy with technology. And I'm so grateful that our two pastors are so good at technology that I don't really need to do anything because it's complicated, right? Um, eating healthy, it's expensive, it's, it's complicated. 
A good night's sleep, man, it used to be so simple. Now the older I get, the harder it is to sleep. And it's like, did I eat the wrong thing? Did I drink too much coffee? Did I go to bed at the wrong time? Like, it's just, it's just complicated. Financial planning, right? I, I have a financial planner that I recently met with, and we're talking about how to pay for college. And I'm like sweating, and I got home, and I said, all right, Nate, you got a choice. We could either have dessert tonight, or you could go to college. Take, take your pick. It's just... It's just complicated, right? Policies, uh, manuals, handbooks that are complicated, mission statements. You ever look at the mission statement of the organization that you work for, and it's just like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what this means. It's so complicated. We don't really like things that are complicated. What we love is when things are simple, (sighs) right? So many of you just now, you were like, yeah. It's just nice when things are simple. Some of you, maybe you're here today and you grew up in church and as time went on, maybe it was in your teenage years, your 20s or 30s, and you walked away from church, not necessarily because it was um, hard, but because it was complicated and you couldn't really understand it, right? And you walked away and maybe you're, you're back here today. I, really, one of my passions in teaching the Word of God is, is taking things and making them simple. But there is a difference, um, or I should say simple uh, is good and simple is refreshing, um, but simple doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy, right? I, I could say, hey, how many of you know how to bench press, and everybody would raise your hand. You'd say, yeah, it's simple. But if I put 300 pounds on that bench press, you would say it's simple but hard, right? It's simple but hard. Um, at the church here, we, we like to say that it's, if you want to get involved in the church, it's simple. Sunday morning, serve on a ministry team and get in a small group. It's simple, but it can be challenging. It's, it's simple, but it can be hard. And so Jesus, when he invited his people to follow him and to become a disciple. Um, what I'm going to try to argue today is that it is, it is simple, it's clear, but it's not easy. It's simple, but hard. And that's what I want to talk about today is because at one point in Jesus's ministry, he looked at the crowd, right? Maybe there were dozens or, or perhaps even hundreds of people that he was preaching to that day. And he said, if you want to follow me, there are three things that are required. And I just got to let you know, these three things are simple, but they are hard and the bar is high. And so if you're here today and you're thinking about, should I become a Jesus follower? You should know what you're getting into before you start because it is simple, but it is hard. We're going to take a look at at that today. Um, This whole series, The Journey of the Cross, we're going to take a look at the end of Mark's gospel as he begins his journey to the cross. But before he gets on the path that's going to lead him to Jerusalem, that's going to lead him to the place where he would eventually be crucified, he he gives them a teaching in Mark chapter 8, and this is what it says. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke, here's our word, plainly about this, or it was simple, or at least Jesus was hoping that it would be simple. You know, everybody got this? Everybody know what's going to happen when I go into Jerusalem? I'm trying to make this simple. I'm trying to make this clear. And it was clear because Peter 
took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. Now you say, why would Peter rebuke Jesus when he said this? Well, right before this passage, um, Jesus or, or Peter confesses to Jesus that he is the Christ, right? There's a confession, Jesus, you are the Messiah, then right after that confession, we have this passage. So there's a, a clear message that Peter gets it. All right, you're the Messiah. But in Peter's mind, Messiah equaled the kingdom, equaled political power, equaled life's going to actually get easy, and we're going to get a little bit of your glory dust on us. And so for Jesus say, to say, we're going into Jerusalem where I'm going to actually experience suffering, Jesus is like, Jesus, I, I got to have a conversation with you. Can you come here? No way, I, I think you got this wrong, Jesus. What are you talking about? And Jesus was so troubled by this that the text tells us that when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. It's never a good day when Jesus calls you Satan. And then he said this, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You have missed out on what I have been trying to communicate to you so plainly, so simply. So after he talks to Peter and the disciples, he now faces the crowd. And again, we don't know how many people. Maybe it's dozens. Maybe it's hundreds of people. So he calls out to the crowd, and he says this. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must Dot, dot, dot. This is huge, right? If you want to become a Jesus follower, there are three very simple, clear requirements to following Jesus. Now, it's simple, but it's hard, and most people aren't going to do it. Before I give you these three requirements, I want to back up four chapters to Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20, where Jesus gives this teaching, right? And he's got the crowds in front of him. And the teaching is known as the parable of the sower. It's Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. And he gives this illustration, right? This parable, this teaching that he makes up to illustrate a point. He says, one man went out to, the, to this place and he took a bunch of seeds and he threw it out. And some of the seeds, they fell on a hard path. The seeds went out, and the birds just snatched up the seeds, and it didn't do anything, right? And he says, some people, they hear the teaching, they hear the word of God, and they're excited about it for a moment, but then when they leave, it just kind of goes away. It doesn't, doesn't lodge in their hearts. And then there are other kinds of people. It's kind of like the seed that falls along the rocky soil, right? It sprouts up. There's some grain, but then the sun comes out. The analogy is suffering, hard things happen to their life. They experience persecution, and immediately that piece of grain gets fried. Then there's another kind of folks who they receive the teaching, and it goes into the soil, and it comes up very quickly, but then it gets choked out by the pleasures of this world and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. So the first Three people who hear the word of God, the, the seed gets in there, but then it just, you know, it disappears very quickly because of persecution or because of worries or it just doesn't do anything. And then there's this fourth group of people where the seed gets sown or the teaching gets sown and it comes into a soft, humble, receiving heart and the grain comes up and it's multiplied 30 or 60 or even 100 times. So here's what Jesus is saying to this crowd of people. Jesus is like, I understand that this teaching is going to go out and most of you are not going to receive it in the way that I'm hoping you will. 
right? That most people are going to take the teaching and they're going to be impressed with it. And they may even say, amen, yeah, that's a good teaching. They may even tell their friends about the teaching, but it's not really going to produce much down the road because there are going to be things in their life that are going to distract them. So most of what you hear, Jesus says, isn't going to be applied. I just want you to know that if you decide to follow me, it's simple, but it's hard. There are three things Jesus is going to say here that are required if you want to follow him. So here's what he says. Are you ready for this? If anyone, I like that. That's good. Amen. You, you ready for this? I like that. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? It's nice that you're part of the crowd, but if you really want to be a part of my work, if you really want to follow me, you got to deny yourself and take up your cross. And you got to follow me. So I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about these three phrases. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. The first one is deny himself. Let's talk about <clears throat> what this means. Now, I don't think that Jesus meant that if you want to follow me, you need to give up chocolate for Lent. But what I'm going to challenge us to do today is during this Lenten season to give up one of your comforts so that you can create more space in your life to follow Jesus. Okay. Um, we are weak people, right, who need constant reminders to deny ourselves. You look at ancient Israel, um, God said in Deuteronomy, he said it like this. He said, tie them as symbols on your hands and them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I put Mark here, but it should be Deuteronomy chapter 6 because we're weak and we need constant reminders, right? That's why sometimes we'll wear WWJD bracelets or we'll have um, tattoos or we'll have signs in our house. We'll just have little reminders that we need to deny ourselves because we so easily forget, and so one of the challenges that I want to throw your way in the book, The Journey to the Cross, talks about this, is to deny yourself one comfort. This is why we give up things for Lent. Uh, Walter and Howe, the author of this devotional, describes it like this. They say, when we reach for our usual comforts and grasp a fistful of air, we are forced to cling to Christ. So if you give up something for Lent, right, it's not so that you can perform, it's not so you can impress other people. It's so that when you reach for that comfort, whether it's chocolate or junk food or media, whatever it is that you decide to give up, when you reach for that usual comfort, because we're in a season of anxiety, we're in a moment of stress, and we want to hold on to that comfort because it makes us feel good, we give that up for this season of Lent. And when we're, when we're used to going into the pantry to grab the junk food, or when we're used to grabbing the remote to watch that media, we reach for it. It's not there. I grab a fistful of air, and now I'm reminded to rely on Christ. Right? I'm reminded to pray in that moment, or I'm reminded to just read a scripture. And it just reminds me that I need to deny myself. Here's a question for you. Have you ever regretted denying yourself a certain comfort and replacing it with prayer? 
I mean, nobody ever said, you know what? Last week, I only went to Peaches and Cream three times, and I need to make up for it this week and go six times. Nobody ever said, you know what? I only binge-watched, you know, one season of this show on Netflix, and I need to make up for it now and make sure I binge-watch two seasons. Nobody ever regretted denying a certain comfort and replacing it with prayer. But many of us in this room would be, would say, I, I'm so thankful for those times where I denied myself a certain pleasure, denied myself a certain comfort so that I could be filled up with more of God in my life. This is why John the Baptist said, I must become less and he must become greater. I must decrease and he must increase. So are you willing to deny yourself a certain comfort to remind yourself, I need God? I need more of God and less of me in my life. Would you be willing to do that for the next 40 days of this Lenten season? Jesus goes on and he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man? What good is it for a woman? What good is it for a teenager to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to give you an example of a man who lived long ago, about 3,000 years ago, and he denied himself nothing. Here's what he writes. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, and I planted vineyards. Now, most of us have driven down the road right next to Seneca Lake, and there are vineyards, right? And you ever drive up there on a beautiful fall day or a nice summer day, and you think to yourself, man, it would be so nice to own a mansion right next to Seneca Lake and all my vineyards, and I could hire people to take care of all the vineyards. Wouldn't that be a good life? This guy says, I had many houses with many vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In other words, I was the richest person who had ever lived in the city of Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I acquired men and women singers. In other words, he had his own private band. He'd hang out on his balcony and be like, you know, however you blow, if you can blow a whistle, you know, however you do that. And they would just come out and they'd start playing for him. He'd have his own little private band, right? And then he also had a harem as well. If you don't know what that is, you can ask your parents when you go home. The delights of the heart of man. He had everything. He said, I became greater by far than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. This is amazing. This guy had every single pleasure known to man, including influence. Because some of you are like, well, the, the material stuff, that, that's fine, but man, I want to have influence. I want to have power. Right? I want people to come up to me and I can give them wisdom and I can tell them how to you know, do life and give them advice. This guy had it all. Had it all. He says this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desire. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all 
my labor. You've never met a guy like this before who had everything that this world could offer. And yet, it's extraordinary what he says about it. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it true that appetites are never satisfied? That's actually the nature of appetites. Nobody's ever sat down and had a meal, a really good meal, and you're full, and you're like, man, I'm full. I don't think I ever need to eat again. Why? Because appetites are never finally satisfied. The nature of appetites is that they grow. I mean, here in America, we have so much stuff, so many things at our disposal. I mean, we go to a restaurant, right? And we sit down and we get the menu and we order the main dish and we are so impatient. We can't even wait 20 minutes for the main dish to come out. So we order an appetizer. Because that's the nature of appetites is they grow, whether it's sex, money, power, stuff. And in America, man, it's at our fingertips, and they just grow. So Jesus says, man, you got to deny yourself. Deny yourself some of those comforts. Instead of reaching for that comfort, reach for me. Reach for me. Pray. Read Scripture. Cling to me. And that's what we're going to do. That's going to be my challenge that you would do over the course of the next 40 days. Because let's be honest, we need to simplify. We need to make room for more of God and less of me. So that's the first thing. If you want to come after Jesus, you got to deny yourself. And then he says, here's the second thing. You got to take up your cross. Now, I taught this this very sermon on uh, Wednesday night to the high school kids. And uh, it, we have great high school kids. I had a blast with them Wednesday night. I said, I said to them, what does it mean to take up your cross? And one of them said, it means suffering. And I thought, man, you're in high school. Some of you are in middle school. And trying to pursue Jesus and take a stand for Jesus and do the right thing. I just want to say, man, we are for you. Because sometimes you got to take up your cross and you got to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. If you want to follow Jesus... It's it's going to require taking up your cross and enduring suffering for the name of Christ. I mean, there are brothers and sisters all over the world as we speak enduring suffering because they refuse to back down from living for Jesus. Now, what does it look like for us to take up our cross and follow me? Well, I don't know because suffering comes in all different shapes in sizes. I mean, Jesus, we know, he didn't run from the journey to the cross. Now, he didn't search for the cross, right? I don't think we're called to search for suffering. Jesus didn't show up and say, okay, here I am. Can you please crucify me? Right? He didn't search for suffering, but he received whatever the Father had in store for him. Right? A couple of chapters after Jesus says that this is what it requires to follow me. The text tells us this, that they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Isn't that a great statement? Jesus is leading the way and just stay behind him. So here's Jesus leading the way on their journey to Jerusalem. And the next several weeks in this sermon series, we're going to stop along the way with Jesus and take a look at some of his teachings. But as he's on the way to Jerusalem, he knows he's going to the cross. So he pauses 
maybe in the middle of the road, maybe he pulls off to the side. And he says to his guys, again, guys, I just want to make this clear. We're going to Jerusalem. I'll be betrayed. I'll be handed over to the Romans, my paraphrase. They will persecute me. They'll kill me. They'll flog me and spit on me and mock me. But then three days later, I will rise. Everyone got that? Are we clear? Yeah, we're clear, Jesus. We got it. You said that before. We, we got you. All right, good. And they start walking along again. And two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, they pull Jesus aside. And they say, hey, you know, that whole mock and spitting thing, that, that's whatever. We want to sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom. In other words, when you become the Messiah, we want to experience the glory of the kingdom. And Jesus is probably like, you're just missing it. You're missing it. But he says, you don't know what you're asking, but you will embrace suffering. And as we know through church history, all of the disciples experienced great suffering because they refused to back down from the stand for Jesus. So what does it look like for you to carry your cross? I mean, Jesus gives this teaching to deny me and to take up your cross and follow me, and they took them a while to get it, and it takes us a while to get it sometimes too. But I'll ask you the question, if you're experiencing suffering right now for the name of Jesus, and it might be something like you're taking a stand at work, right? And you're like, no, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the honest thing. And everybody else is like, well, everybody else cuts corners. But you're like, no, we're going to do the right thing. That could be persecution, whether it's at middle school, high school, your workplace, and you're experiencing some suffering because you're taking a, a stand for what's right, for righteousness, for the sake of the gospel, that's taking up your cross. So the third thing that Jesus says is a requirement if you want to follow him is that you would, you would follow him, that you deny yourself, that you take up your cross, and that you would follow him. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Are you following Jesus? Are you willing to listen to his voice? Are you willing to pause long enough in a moment of silence and solitude and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? Are you willing to heed the words of Scripture, to follow him? And sometimes it's going to be a place of rejoicing and a place of laughter and a place of fellowship and a place of abundance. And at other times, it's going to be a place of suffering. In a place of difficulty, a place of the unknown, Jesus says, are you willing to follow me? And then he goes on and he says, look, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You know, there's a difference between being an admirer and being a follower, Right? You can admire Jesus from a distance, which most of the people who encountered Jesus in the New Testament were admirers. They were impressed with his sermons. They were impressed with his miracles. They flocked to him. The crowds were so big sometimes that Zacchaeus had to get up in a tree just to be able to see him. At other times, they were so impressed by Jesus that they were even willing to testify. 
Some people are willing to put on bracelets and T-shirts and bumper stickers on their car to get the paraphernalia to say, I'm I'm an admirer of Jesus. I love what he's done, and I want to tell other people about him. But there's a difference between an admirer and a follower because followers do these things. Followers are impressed by Jesus. Followers testify. Followers even have the paraphernalia, but a real follower who's really willing to come after Jesus says, you know what? I'm willing to deny myself some comforts of this life. I'm willing to take up my cross and experience hardship for the name of Christ. And I'll follow him. Or I'll, as we say, be led by the Spirit. I'll keep in step with the Spirit and I'll stay behind him no matter where he goes. Okay, here's the million-dollar question. This is the question we've all asked ourselves, and this is the question you're asking yourself right now, and it's simply this. Is it worth it? I mean, is it really worth it? Like, I don't know. He might take me to a scary place. I don't know. Is it worth it? Maybe a better question, is he worth it? Is he worth it? And I know there's many people in this room, because I know many of you, would say, yes, it is worth it. It does mean I have to deny some things. It does mean that I have to stay on the journey, even though it might include suffering. It does mean that I'm going to follow him to some dark and scary places, but it's worth it. Many of you in this room would say, it's worth it every single time. You know why? Because Jesus bled for me. Jesus died for me. And Jesus is willing to stick with me through thick and thin. Yes, it's worth it. And you know, right now there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels that are gathered around the Son of God, Jesus. And this is what they're saying. Or this is what they're singing in a loud voice. That he is worth it. He is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He's worth it. He's worth everything. So at the end of the day, here's the question that he has for us. And it's simply this. Will you deny yourself one comfort for the next 40 days? Now, this isn't about performance. This isn't about works. This isn't even about doing more for God. This is simply about pausing and plummeting the depths of what Christ has already done for you. That's what Lent is. And some of you would say, I'm not really into avoiding comfort. That's fine. Maybe you can add something. This isn't about works. This isn't about performance. But I am weak, and some of you are weak, and we just need little reminders, little reminders to say, you know what, for 40 days, I'm just going to put it aside. And here's the thing, if it's too important for you to put aside for 40 days, then it might be too important to you. It might actually be an idol that has too much power over you. So would you be willing to put it aside and replace it with prayer? Just a small prayer, just a small verse. In that moment, when you're tempted to go to that comfort, you would pause and you would say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for filling me. Thank you for meeting me in this moment. Second question is, what hard thing are you tempted to walk away from? Now, let me be clear. There are moments where you should quit the job. There are moments where you should pull your kid out of that activity because it's toxic for them. 
We've all quit jobs. We've all quit churches. We've all ended certain relationships. But before you walk away, ask yourself the question, does Jesus want me to walk away? Or does he want me to carry my cross? Because he's got something better for you on the other side. And then the last question is simply this, where is God leading you? Where is he leading you right now? And I want to give you just about 60 seconds in this moment to be silent before the Lord and to wrestle with these three questions. What can you deny? What can you give up? What hard thing are you tempted to walk away from? And does Jesus want you to stay in it? Maybe it's a hard marriage. Maybe it's a hard job. Maybe it's a hard task. Does Jesus want you to stay in it? Carry your cross. And then number three, is he leading you to a place of abundance that's going to require you to follow him a little more closely? Let's take a minute to think about that, and then I'll come back up and I'll lead us in a time of communion. Go ahead and take a moment of silence right now. go ahead and pull out your plastic goblet, which is in the seat in front of you. And uh, this, is, this is the cup of suffering. This represents the cup of suffering. And ultimately, we're here to celebrate not our own suffering, but the suffering of Christ, who went to the cross on our behalf. The Apostle Paul, when he encouraged the church at Corinth, to celebrate communion or to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Here's how he described it in 1 Corinthians. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me because it's so easy to forget. It's easy to forget what Jesus has done for us. And so in this moment, we have these, these things that we can touch, right? These sacraments that represent what's going on inside of us, the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate communion. This is the body of Christ that was broken for you. Let's take it together.
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ shed for you. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up right now and I'm just gonna ask you to take about 30 seconds to be silent before the Lord and to think about his suffering, his body and his blood given for you. Take a moment to be silent before the Lord. God, we celebrate and we meditate on the fact that this road to the cross, this journey to the cross, it was simple. You walked into the city and you walked up to Gethsemane and you submitted yourself to the Father's plan and you submitted yourself to suffering. Simple, but probably the hardest thing, not probably, the hardest thing anyone has ever done, and yet you did it for us. And we just want to say thank you for that. And I pray that through the body and the blood of Christ, through the Holy Spirit within us, that you would give us the strength to simplify our lives, to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and embrace the suffering that you have for us, and to follow you. We pray this in the matchless, merciful, majestic name of King Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm hoping that this message is a challenge to you and that you feel equipped and ready to take your next step with Jesus. And so until we're together again, I simply want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Bear Tom Road Alliance Church Podcast.